So, good morning. Just checking the sound before we begin. Is it okay at the back? Yep, great, thank you. So just one announcement this morning that uh, Shelley will be sitting in with Dara's practice meetings. And I just wanted to offer a few reflections in response to quite a few different questions that came in, both questions that were left over from the session with Joseph and then some new ones coming in. So yesterday, Brian responded to a question about directed or undirected attention and when to practice which one. And then we also got the question, does it make a difference what we use as an anchor for attention in the practice? Are some anchors like breath more effective or helpful in practice than others, like a particular sensation or the feeling of hands touching or some other sensations? And then from Joseph's session, any tips for when to practice with an anchor versus choiceless attention versus metta? And then lastly, is there a role for creativity in this practice? Or is it just bare attention to the facts, the whole of the path? <laughs> a little bit of a subtext in that one. <laughs> so basically, they're kind of in a theme. Uh, I think there's a theme about the different methods we've been offering and how to decide what to do. And in our individual practice meetings with some of you I've shared, in some ways it's a bit like cooking. We're giving you recipes, but each of us need to learn for ourselves how to combine the different ingredients, how to adjust the seasoning, how much time to cook it all for, and so on. So this is a skill that we can train in by paying close attention to what we're doing and what the results are. And there's an analogy for this uh, process in the suttas that I'd like to share with you. It says, suppose that there is a foolish, inexperienced, unskillful cook who has presented a king with various kinds of curry, mainly sour, mainly bitter, mainly peppery, mainly sweet, alkaline or non-alkaline, salty or non-salty. The cook does not take notice of the master thinking, Today, my master likes this curry, or he reaches out for that curry, or he takes a lot of this curry, or he praises that curry. Today, my master likes mainly sour curry, or bitter curry, or peppery curry, or sweet curry, and so on. Today, my master likes non-salty curry, and so on. And as a result, the cook is not rewarded with clothing or wages or gifts. Why is that? Because the foolish, inexperienced, unskillful cook does not pick up on the theme of the master. In the same way, there are cases where a foolish, inexperienced, unskillful practitioner (laughs) remains focused on the four establishments of mindfulness. But as they remain focused on them, their mind does not become concentrated. Their defilements are not abandoned. They do not take note of that fact. As a result, they're not rewarded with a pleasant abiding here and now nor with mindfulness and alertness. Why is that? Because the foolish, inexperienced, unskillful practitioner does not take note of their own mind. And the sutta then goes on to contrast that, that poor, foolish, inexperienced, unskillful cook (laughs) or practitioner with a wise, experienced, skillful cook who does pay attention 
to the curries that the master takes and gets rewarded. And that cook is likened to a skillful meditator who does take note of their own mind and as a result gets rewarded. So what's that analogy trying to tell us besides the fact that there were a lot of different types of curry (laughs) in India at the time of the Buddha? It's basically saying to get the most benefit from whatever practice we're doing, whatever metaphorical curry, whatever practice, we need to pay attention to the mind, to learn for ourselves what methods work best for us in any given sitting or walking. So the first stage in that process is to tune into the quality of the mind, to bring mindfulness to the mind itself. Not the content of the mind, not the thoughts or the emotions, but underneath that, the mind states, by tuning in and just asking, how's the mind now? So let's do that. Just take a moment. Underneath the surface level activity, thoughts, emotions... Can you find an overall quality or state of the mind? So, for example, it might be bright or dull, alert or sluggish, aversive or kind, scattered, steady, clear, foggy. Contracted or spacious. So I don't know what any of you noticed individually, but I'm pretty sure if I asked, there'd be a whole range of different mind states present now. Just like all the different types of curry, the mind can have many different flavors. And in a way, our task is to become a connoisseur of those states. So then we can choose which method of practice is going to be most supportive to help the mind stay balanced. So, for example, perhaps right now the mind is feeling a little tense or tight. And if you push yourself to do some highly focused mental noting, the chances are that will make it more contracted. So instead, you might choose to practice with choiceless attention to open up a little more space. Or if you do decide to work with an anchor it might be better to use something like sound instead of something more closely focused like the breath. If perhaps the mind feels very tight and is turning into aversion, ill will, that might be a signal that it could be useful to practice cultivating metta or maybe self-compassion for a while. On the other hand, if you recognize that the attention is pretty scattered and there's not a lot of stability of mindfulness, then practicing with a simple anchor like the breath is probably going to be helpful. So the first step is, as the sutta says, take note of your own mind and then choose a practice method that you think might help to balance out however it is. But that's not all. The next stage is to notice the results At the end of the sitting or the walking, check in again. Gently investigate. How's the mind now? What was the effect of the practice method I chose? Did it help to develop and maintain some steadiness of mind, some refined mindfulness? If it did, great. You're on the right track. If it didn't, okay. 
you learn something and can make a different choice next time. I loved how last night Shelley emphasized that what we're doing here is learning rather than just continuing all of our habitual strategies to stay in control. Or as Brian said yesterday, we're making the familiar unfamiliar. So don't be afraid to learn, to experiment, to try things out, to see what happens. Observe the results. Take in new information. Now, I know from my own experience, this is easier said than done because it is it's just so antithetical to let go of control. And on a bigger picture, often what drives these kinds of questions about what technique should I do and when do I do this, underneath all that is often a belief that there either is or there should be one right way. And underlying that belief is the need to find that right method. Underneath that is fear, often. Fear of doing it wrong. Fear of getting it wrong. And even worse, fear of being wrong. So as an antidote to that tendency to fall into binaries of right and wrong, and good and bad, and success and failure, many of you have heard me say, I invite instead this approach of exploring and enjoying or experimenting and enjoying. Instead of grasping after the right method, see if you can just be curious and try things out. So circling back to that question, is there room for creativity in the practice? The answer is not only yes, but that it's crucial. So we can think of this whole retreat as R&D, research and development. And don't forget about the enjoying aspect. Now, to be clear, when I'm saying enjoying, I don't mean just entertaining yourself and goofing off, having fun. Enjoying more in the sense of appreciating. Appreciating that every experience we have here, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, it can be onward leading if we approach it in the right way. Or as Joseph said, don't waste your suffering. So if you're not enjoying or appreciating what you're doing here, really useful to ask yourself why. Again, based on my own experience, it's usually because I've got caught in that right-wrong binary and or I'm desperately trying to stay in control in some way. So if you do happen to recognize that deeply conditioned pattern, try not to judge it because that's actually just another control strategy. Instead, Meet it with compassion, knowing it's definitely not unique to you. See if you can soften the clinging to control. Give yourself permission to explore and enjoy. Then, becoming like the wise, experienced, skillful cook who pays attention, learns what works, and reaps the rewards. Okay, so as we settle into some silent practice now, just to begin, you might again check, how is the mind now? Maybe it's different than a few minutes ago. 
Just get a sense scattered or dull or bright, expansive, contracted, aversive, kind. Just tuning in to how's the mind now. And then experimenting, choosing a practice that you think might help the mind stay steady and balanced, that might support refined mindfulness. As we settle into the silence together now.
How is the heart-mind now? Taking a moment just to tune in and to reap the rewards of this practice. To take in any benefits, any skillful qualities that have been strengthened just a little. Maybe a little more calm or clarity, kindness or compassion. Steadiness, ease, spaciousness, just to see. And if none of the above, the fact that you're still here, for sure you've strengthened patience. and acceptance and diligence resolve determination maybe equanimity just taking in the good appreciating the benefits of this practice with the wish that those benefits might be shared by all beings everywhere as a contribution to our welfare, happiness, and freedom. Hope you can enjoy this day of exploring and experimenting. If not enjoy, at least appreciate. Okay. Thank you for your practice.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.